0: Hello and welcome to Being Well, I'm Forrest Hansen. If you're new to the podcast, this is where we explore the practical science of lasting well-being. And if you've listened before, welcome back. We've spent a lot of time on this podcast exploring the future, how we can set big goals and how we can go about achieving them, how we can make good decisions and relate to whatever the outcome is. A lot of the time inside of those conversations, there's a bit of an assumption that if our process is good, our outcomes will be good as well. And if we just refine our process enough, everything will work out in the end. But we all know that that's not necessarily how life actually works. And oftentimes, we realize that it's time for something to end. Our efforts are not being rewarded. We're not getting what we want out of a certain situation. And it's just time to take a big, clear-eyed look around and say, you know what, I probably shouldn't be in this situation for any longer. So that's what we're going to be focusing on today, how we can end well. How can we relate to what's happened so far? And how can we perhaps look for greener pastures? So to help us do that, I'm joined today as usual by Dr. Rick Hansen. So dad, how are you doing today?
1: I'm good. and I really like this topic partly because I tend to persist to a fault. And one of my great lessons has been when it's time to Let go, disengage, move on. Yeah. And I think that socially in
0: general, we have this kind of persistent don't give up mindset embedded in our culture. Nobody likes a quitter. If you just keep on plugging away, you'll get there. If you just work hard enough, things will probably turn out for you. But luck and circumstance and good fortune and all those other things play an enormous role as well. And sometimes we realize that we're putting our efforts into something that is just not going to serve us long term. And so that's why I I think that this is an important conversation, in part to kind of battle some of those cultural narratives that we have.
1: Yeah, I think one of the first things to do is to make sure that you're not erring on the side of jumping too quickly. And maybe we could start there and we therefore we kind of protect that flank (laughs) as it were in the mission here. So I definitely have known people for whom if it doesn't feel good immediately, they're not prepared to really work on a relationship, say, or if they get some kind of negative interaction with a coworker or their boss, let's say at work, they won't come back into the situation and try to make a repair, maybe assert themselves, maybe speak up and say, hey, I don't like being talked to in that way, but they're just done. They're just out. They give up too soon. And so it's helpful actually to ask yourself, do you have any tendencies to give up too soon? And I want to be clear about one detail here though. We all have different temperaments. We have different health histories. We have different degrees of resilience or robustness in the moment. And what might land really hard on person A because of their just temperament or the way that life has landed hard on them in the past might not land so hard on person B. So for person B, it might be too soon to quit, to leave, to get out. But for person A, no fault, just fact, it was too much. It was too much to bear. It was unreasonable. It was damaging. It was injurious. It wasn't just uncomfortable. And it really is okay for them to step out. So I want to acknowledge the range here and also encourage people not to be too hard on themselves. That said, yeah, a lot of people jump too quickly, especially in certain kinds of situations. For example, they'll persist with a physical challenge, 10 mile hike. Uh, They got a blister by mile three, by mile four, their feet are bleeding, mile 10, they stagger into the final campsite and they're going to then have to spend the next couple of months dealing with an infection in their foot. (laughs) They're that kind of person when it comes to a physical challenge. I've known people like this, but when it comes to saying something vulnerable and scary in a relationship, like asking for something that they really care about way down deep, ugh, if it doesn't go well in the first five seconds, they're out of that relationship. So ask yourself, you know, do you have any tendencies to quit too soon? And you know, think about what you might do to prevent them from manifesting.
0: Yeah, this gets us into a really interesting conversation that can be a part of today's episode, but might, who knows, might inspire us for something down the line, which is this kind of tricky dynamic inside of the culture between the idea of improving your distress tolerance versus essentially self-preservation, getting out of situations that are abusive. Because all the time people are told, oh, just improve your distress tolerance. But if the situation itself is like deeply problematic, is it the person's job to improve their distress tolerance? Or is it the situation's job to stop being so crappy, essentially? Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what you're pointing to here. And sometimes it can be really hard. It can be really hard to tell if... The issue is, okay, I just need to tough this out for a little while. Or if you're really just in a bad spot, and maybe we could talk a little bit today. I'm kind of curious on your take here, Dad, about how to determine between those two different kinds of circumstances. Like, are there good indicators that people can look for for when they just might not have invested enough effort yet versus when it's like, no, this is a problematic environment?
1: Great question. Wow. And I I just think so many other people should be thinking about that question. Two responses. The first response is to be mindful of cultural messages that tend to tilt us one way or another, including, for example, related to gender roles. So, for example... What are the cultural messages, Just to, I'm going to generalize here, obviously many exceptions, ta-da, but what are the cultural messages that maybe somebody has internalized, let's say as a woman, that she should stay in a really bad relationship longer for the sake of the children in a way that perhaps men, as a generalization, would not have so internalized. Flip the other way, what if there's a cultural message for a man to be stoic and not let it matter that their person's job is physically painful and demanding and, and hard on their body, too bad, tough it out, your dad did it, your dad's dad did it, you got to hang in there. You know. Be aware of those kind of cultural messages and also specific messages in your own family of origin uh, around not being a quitter, don't cry, uh, big kids don't cry, stuff like that. So be aware of that. Point one, and put in a correction factor. If you've gotten those kind of messages and try to get them out of your head, if they're gonna tend to push you to stay over long. Second thing to use a kind of metaphor here is we are typically resilient, strong animals at the top of the food chain. We can handle a fair amount of chronic green, yellow, red, you know, yellow zone stress, even tipping into orange. But if we're spending a lot of time in red zone stress with little opportunity for recovery, that starts penetrating into our core. To use a metaphor, it's a little bit like getting through the brake pad in your car, and then eventually it gets to be metal on metal. If you're just dealing with the brake pad, you can recover from that. But if your job, if your marriage, if how the in-laws are talking to you or about you, if the physical conditions of your life, the lack of sleep you're getting, the nature of your job, whatever it might be, if that's starting to penetrate into the core of your being and you're not getting opportunities to recover back to a green, a green baseline, that's a major indicator Mm. that what you're doing is not right for you. And as an example of that, I've definitely had clients in certain situations, In and the context being as a therapist, I should be, and I generally am, very loath to give specific advice. But I've had certain situations with people where I basically said, well, truly, I rarely say this, but I can tell you, in my professional opinion, uh, your son should never go back to that high school,
0: mm.
1: period. Or you should never go back to that job, period for example, because it's just so bad for you. Yeah. That's a question for people. Is it metal on metal? Is it penetrating your core? And a key indicator for that is, are you able to recover to baseline? And if you're not able to recover to baseline, if for example, you uh, have a weekend and you go to work Monday morning and you're still exhausted, Mm. that's a bad sign. Sure. If, you know, you have a lunch break and you're not able to kind of shake it off and chill out and relax and come back after lunch, that's a yellow flag at a a minimum.
0: Yeah, for starters, appreciating individual differences in temperament I think is a huge part of this. And kind of like what you were saying and our own individual tendencies around, do we tend to leave too quickly? Do we tend to stay too long? I think alongside that, there's a question about what are the things that you're receiving from the environment versus the problems that you see inside of it. Because if there's a balance of pluses and minuses in a given space, it could just be that it's time to spend a little bit more effort there. But if you were just constantly getting stiff-armed by the world inside of a certain circumstance, it's just hard to imagine too many of those where things end up working out well in the end. Whether that situation is a relationship, or it's a job, or it's a social environment— if you feel like you're really putting out the effort time and time again, and man, the outcomes just aren't there, pretty good indicator that maybe it's time to bring things toward a uh, a feeling of completion, if you will.
1: Yeah, I had a friend who was uh, an amateur meteorologist. He was really into the tech of it. He was mathematically inclined. And he had all this gear and atmospheric pressure and so forth. And I asked him, how do you predict the weather, Larry? Mm-hmm. And he said, Essentially, look out the window and whatever you see out the window is your best indicator of what the weather will be like tomorrow. (laughs) In other words, if you want to know what the weather's going to be like today, what was it like yesterday? And of course, weather changes day to day, but on the whole, the best predictor of today's weather will be what happened yesterday. The best predictor of the future is the past. And if you've repeatedly tried to make something happen in a certain situation and it just hasn't happened despite heroic effort, maybe it's time to take a fresh look. You have to look inside and ask yourself, do you have a particular payoff that given your childhood or your life or your culture, what have you, makes you keep putting out heroic effort, which by definition requires needing to get blood from the stone? Mm -hmm. Because if you reach to the statue and it naturally gives you blood or water or what have you, well, then you don't need heroic effort. So heroic effort requires overcoming you know, insurmountable obstacles. And so if you have some kind of role-related payoff, like I'm supposed to make heroic efforts in life, including in your relationships, Mm -hmm. if you feel that it's your responsibility to make heroic efforts to make other people happy or to make them get along with each other, that's a major problematic slippery slope. Mm -hmm. And it's a big yellow flag to be really, really careful about that. The other thing I would just say, if I could, you know, frankly, for me in relationships, if in an important relationship, something weird happens, the other person does something and you bring it up to them and then they blow it off or counterattack, whew, that's a yellow flag. If they do it again, that's clearly two strikes minimally on the board. That's an orange flag. And if they do it a third time, strike out. I mean, in baseball metaphor. To me, you know, three strikes, you're out. And sometimes in certain kinds of behaviors, two strikes, because it really teaches you. If you've made a sincere effort to repair with that person, you've given them a chance and they just won't do it. Uh, What's the Maya Angelou quote, right? When people show you who they are, believe them the first time or at least by the third.
0: Yeah, totally. And I think that alongside that, there are all these tendencies that we have in the mind, right? Right. And one of them very much is our cognitive bias around sunk cost, with basically the idea that if we've devoted effort to something, then we should just keep on devoting effort to it to justify the previous effort, previous money, previous whatever that we spent inside of the circumstance. And look, sometimes, yes, as we're saying, there is an accumulation of effort over time. You're not going to become a fill-in-the-blank, a YouTube superstar, a whatever overnight. That's like not how any of this works. But if, as you're saying, if if you spent all this effort and you just haven't seen any return from it to this point, you should really have an expiration date in mind around when it's time to stop putting good money after bad, if you want to kind of put it that way.
1: Yeah, it is interesting the kinds of things that keep people stuck. So we're talking now clearly about what keeps people stuck. Then we can talk more about unsticking yourself. But one of them is the longing for a just world or the longing rooted in childhood for a perfectly responsive partner.
0: Mm, mm -hmm.
1: And people can often be in situations in which that longing is at the heart of what keeps them in a situation. There's a branch of psychotherapy called control mastery theory, control mastery, which is very powerful and useful. And the, the essential idea is that we try to control and master situations that we encountered, especially when we were young. And then the question becomes, can we master them well, or do we tend to keep picking situations that are so like the ones in which we were young that our quest is doomed from the very Mm get-go? So people can ask themselves, you know, am I in this relationship? I am in this job. Am I pursuing this career? Am I going after this project? Out of some underlying, understandable but and poignant, but still unrealistic, childlike fantasy of what's actually possible, which can sometimes include a certain, I'll say it, grandiosity about one's own capacities to grow roses in a parking lot. Yeah. Or to finally get good behavior out of those other people. Well, guess what? You don't actually have that kind of grandiose, omnipotent capacity. You're a good normal person with good normal capacities, but you can't make them do those things necessarily. Uh, You can't, including, you can't get a a dog to ride a bicycle or something like that. It's just not going to happen no matter how how much you try, which then takes people into a kind of mourning, Mm. a kind of grieving Mm -hmm. of the dashing of that hope for possibility and the discomfort in facing that grieving and the sense of futility and I can't make it happen and it's never gonna happen, that can really be hard for people to bear, but it's an important thing to be able to bear, to be able to mourn, in effect, the dashing of false hopes.
0: Yeah, and I I have a question for you maybe around that. A lot of this, I think, has to do much of the time, with experiencing a degree of disappointment. Yeah, We've been in a relationship for a couple of years, and man, we just realized that we're not getting what we want out of that relationship. We've been in a job for a couple months that we were really looking forward to, and now three, four, five months later, we're looking around going, wow, this is just not what I thought it was going to be. Um, I was made all these promises by people, and they have failed to deliver on those promises. Whatever the situation is, there's a lot of disappointment there. Like that, that feels really bad. And depending on what your personality type is, that could lead some people to really lash out, to really get angry and oppositional at the other person, at the workplace, whatever. Or it could lead people to get really self-deprecating. Ugh, how could you not find fulfillment yet again inside of this space? maybe in the context of the work that you've done with people clinically. Over time, a lot of people are sitting in your office because they're dealing with disappointment of one kind or another. How do you help people relate to that experience and, and kind of feel okay and protect themselves from that disappointment?
1: Yeah, it's a very perceptive uh, question for us. Well, of course, we begin with mindfulness and self-compassion. You know, Be aware of how you feel. You know, simple, down-to-earth stuff nothing exotic about it. Just what's it like to be you right now mm. with this? Can you can you feel it? What are you thinking? What are you feeling? What's going on here? What do you wish had happened? What would have made it better if it had happened? That's a very nice and concrete way to help yourself reflect on things that have occurred to you. Does this situation remind you of anything? Does it remind you of being in varsity sports in high school? Does it remind you of the first day of school year after year? Uh, What does it remind you of? Is there anything that you've transferred from the past into the present? So starting there. Then I think there's a very important question and each person gets to answer it in their own way. With regard to this particular job or person or situation, what were realistic hopes, realistic expectations? the disappointment is related to falling short of that. And it can be helpful to be honest about, you know, my expectations, for example, my hopes were unrealistic. They were transferred in from childhood. I was looking for a kind of mothering in this relationship or a kind of fathering that I should have had when I was 10 years old or 10 days old. I didn't get but it's just not realistic to expect that from someone I'm dating or even potentially someone I'm married to. Maybe those expectations are unrealistic. Uh, I think supposedly a bunch of adolescents were surveyed, you know, what do you think you're gonna be when you grow up? And 89% of them said either a rock star or a professional athlete. <laughs> and okay, great, you know, pursue your plan, but pursue your dreams, but have a plan B, you know, mm-hmm. both things. So yeah, then you get to whatever is true for you, you go, yeah, I did have a semi-realistic, I wasn't crazy. It wasn't nuts to wish for that. They did say this to me, or I had a reasonable expectation of decent treatment by this other person, you know, appropriate professional conduct. And wow, they failed. Or wow, it just didn't turn out that way. It did fall short. And, you know, making that distinction between unrealistic and vaguely loosely realistic hopes is actually really helpful because it can tend to also reduce the disappointment if you start to realize that your hopes and expectations, your, your standards were unrealistically high. That's part of it. And then the last thing I would just say is when you get to kind of the core of the disappointment, I think it's helpful to let yourself feel it. You're sad, you're hurt, maybe you're wounded. They really shouldn't have treated you in that crappy way. It got you. It wasn't right. It feels bad. (sighs) And then it helps to bring a kind of soothing and healing to yourself. And at some point, pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and look around. Okay, where is there more fertile ground for the seeds that I have within me? that I want to bring into being. What kind of person is likely to be more receptive to the kind of person I am? What kind of job is better for my talents? What can I learn from this situation to scrutinize more in the early stages of a relationship or a roommate situation or a place to live? What can I, when information would really help me not um, be disappointed in the future, have greater likelihood of success? What could I do along the way that would lead to greater likelihood of success the next time around? And just knowing those things, Mm, mm -hmm. not trying to jump too quickly in them, not using them to kind of suppress or squelch your hurt feelings, your sad feelings, which are totally legitimate, but knowing kind of optimistically. Mm. Optimism is an antidote to disappointment. Yeah. Realistic optimism and a sense of forward movement, forward momentum. Momentum is another great antidote to disappointment. And a lot of issues are cleared, frankly, by just putting daylight between yourself and the train wreck. Mm, mm -hmm. Each day you put a little more daylight between yourself and that train wreck. And after 10 days, certainly after a hundred days, it often starts feeling a lot better.
0: Yeah, I think you really hit something at the end there that I was hoping to talk about a little bit which is the value of optimism and the ability to turn toward our hopes and dreams, essentially, for what's going to happen next. Because there are kind of these two aspects to things ending, right? There's relating to what's happened, taking stock, giving ourselves space, being kind to ourselves, whatever. And then there's turning toward the future. What can I make that I wasn't able to make in the situation that I was in? And maybe that's part of it, right? You don't have to be somebody who's constantly trapped and the grass is always greener. I've definitely been there in my life, and it's a very problematic place to be. But I do think that if you are just so excited about an idea that could happen in the future that is made impossible by a situation that you are currently in, wow, that's a pretty big indicator that maybe you should start looking for a different situation. If you feel that there's just no way that you could bring that dream to bear inside of your current environment, really, really strong indicator that your current environment isn't serving you so well. And then just going through the the series of thoughts around what am I excited about now? What are the new possibilities that have opened up for me? Yeah, I got let go from my job, and that really sucks. And I'm going to do my best to not be incredibly self-critical. I'm going to try to go through a thoughtful process around what do I want to do differently next time that is suffuse with self-compassion as opposed to self-criticism, all of that good stuff. But then also, what is actually legitimately exciting about this new circumstance that I find myself in, even if that circumstance is on the surface a pretty negative one, you lost your job, you are no longer in a relationship, whatever it might be.
1: I think it's useful to balance two things. And this is particularly important when we take into account that many, many people have very limited influence over their family situation, who they're in a relationship with, or the kind of work they do. Yeah, And part one here is to Realize that sometimes what's really helpful is to look at your work or your function and to say, essentially, it is simply what it is. And that's okay. It doesn't have to be a world beater career, it doesn't have to be more than what it is. It's a simple, functional thing I do. And in a weird kind of way, for me at least, it helps to imagine when our ancestors were hunting and gathering. Nobody had a career. Nobody had a bestseller. Nobody had a five star review. Nobody had possessions of any magnitude because everything you had, you had to carry on your back. And on any given day, you were hunting and gathering and talking and relating and cooperating and managing the everyday difficulties of your life. So I think in that context, making a living, washing dishes, or bussing tables, or driving a truck, or manipulating numbers and in, in any kind of a job, they are simply what they are. And I think there's a way to come to peace with certain situations where my life choices, my karmas, just the uh, things that have happened, it is just this. And I don't mean that in any way, shape, or form to try to deny the importance of addressing privilege and, you know, improving opportunities for everybody and so forth. But sometimes we just find ourselves in situation and we make ourselves crazy by expecting more from it than is really available in it. You have friends, you know, they're good people. And you, have, you realize after a time, you know, I'm never going to get a kind of listing from that person or Mm. we're never gonna be able to do this fun thing, or Uh this person is never gonna be intellectually scintillating. (laughs) All right, fine. And they're my friend, they're my buddy. They're cool, they have a good heart. We like each other, it is what it is. We hang out, we watch sports, we yak, we play cards, we make a meal together, that's okay. So that's one side of the truth. The other side of the truth, I think, is that, or opportunity for us really, the other opportunity is that often we can redefine the situation we're in, in our own terms, and redefine it as a game that we can win at, or a movie that we care about. And I think back on an early visit I had to um, a bakery run by the San Francisco Zen Center, 35 plus years ago, before you were born. And I walked into this place, and there were all these people working there who were bussing tables, moving dishes, making coffee, making donuts, you know, working the cash register. And what was really clear about all of them is they had a tremendous sense of presence, and practice, and open-eyed alertness, and open-hearted uh, relatedness. And it was really clear that they weren't there to fill the sugar container per se. That wasn't their fundamental mission. They were using the activities of their job, setting out napkins, washing dishes, and so on, as a field of practice. They redefined it for themselves. And they were getting a lot of value and a lot of growth and satisfaction and fulfillment and happiness in their relationship to what they were doing, which was a huge field of opportunity that was under their influence. And with regard to which... No one could defeat them from finding their own attitude and their own practice and their own meaning in relationship to what they were doing. And that, I think, is an opportunity for people as well, even if we're stuck. Sometimes we're stuck in certain situations. Can we still find meaning and value in it no matter what?
0: We'll be right back to the show in just a minute, but first, a word from this week's sponsors. Terms like the microbiome have gone mainstream, And it's great that there's more awareness about the importance of gut health and how we can support it by taking a good probiotic. Not all probiotics are created equal, and that's why I'm happy to be partnering with Seed. Seed is proud to be backed by science. Lots of science. They collaborated with leading scientists to create their DS01 daily symbiotic. It's a broad-spectrum, two-in-one probiotic and prebiotic that includes a proprietary formula of 24 clinically and scientifically studied strains. I take DS01 daily in the morning, and as a guy who has taken a lot of probiotics in his life, one of the things I really appreciated about it is it doesn't have that weird probiotic taste. Trust your gut with Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic. Go to seed.com beingwell and use code 25 being well to get 25% off your first month. That's 25% off your first month of Seed's DS01 Daily Symbiotic at seed.com slash beingwell, code 25beingwell. Work often means hours a day sitting in a chair, and research has suggested that prolonged sitting poses all kinds of health risks. One of the best purchases I've made over the last few years is getting a standing desk. It's absolutely transformed my workday, I totally love it, and I got mine from Uplift Desk. So when Uplift reached out recently to sponsor the podcast, I was totally thrilled. If you'd like to try one out, visit upliftdesk.com slash beingwell for 5% off your order. It's really a great product. I use the V2 two-leg configuration from my desk, that's where I work every day and record the podcast from, but they have so many different options for people. Over a million customers have chosen Uplift Desk for their innovative product designs, free 30-day returns, which includes free return shipping, and a 15-year warranty. Their pricing is also really competitive, and if you're trying to save some money, you can just buy the legs alone. Go to upliftdesk.com/beingwell for 5% off your order. That’s up liftdesk.com/beingwell. This episode is brought to you by IQ Bar. I'm always looking for ways to get more protein and particularly more healthy protein into my diet, and IQ Bar has been a really good fit for me. Start each day right with IQ Bar's brain and body boosting bars, hydration mixes, and mushroom coffees. And today, our listeners get an exclusive offer of 20% off plus free shipping. Just text "Being Well" to 64,000. One of the reasons that the bars have been so great for me is because they're entirely free from gluten, dairy, soy, and artificial sweeteners. And you can refuel smarter with IQ Bar's ultimate sampler pack. That's seven IQ Bars, four IQ Mix sticks, and four IQ Joe sticks. And now our special podcast listeners get 20% off all IQ Bar products, plus you can get free shipping as well. To get your 20% off, just text BEINGWELL to 64,000. Get your discount. Text "being well" to 64,000. That's B-E-I-N-G-W-E-L-L to 64,000. Message and data rates may apply. See terms for details. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. What would you do if you had an extra hour in your day? We're all looking for more time, but time for what? It's easy to waste time doing the things that don't really matter, and it can sometimes feel like we never have time for what does. Learning what we really value and making it a priority in our lives is something therapy can help us with. As you probably already know, I'm a huge believer in the power of therapy, and working with a therapist has made a huge difference in my life. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash being well today to get ten percent off your first month. That's betterhelp h e l p dot com slash being well. Maybe alongside that, a huge resource for me personally when Things come to a close. I've often thought of my life as not really even thought of my life, but just kind of found in my life these four year cycles of different kinds. Maybe it dates back to to like middle school and high school and that sort of thing, where you've got these three or four year cycles. But I just sort of found that I was kind of doing a hobby for four years in a serious way, or maybe eight years to four year cycles. And then I was sort of changing it in some meaningful way or moving on to the next thing. Mm. And when those moments of change happened, something that really helped me was giving myself credit for the good effort that I had already spent in the past, Mm. even if things didn't work out perfectly, even if they didn't work out a little bit perfectly, like at all the way that I wanted them to. If I was able to look at what I did and honestly say to myself, you know what, Forrest, it wasn't perfect. You didn't do everything perfect. There are all these other things you could have done. Sure. Okay. But you tried hard. You expended the effort. You gave it your best shot in whatever way. And whenever I've really been able to say that, and that's just like a life lesson right there, whenever I've been able to say that, I've ended up happier. And that's a teaching on the importance of expending that full effort inside of our relationships, inside of our work lives, and in terms of self-actualization, you know, whatever, however you want kind of want to frame that. Where I have always felt better when I felt like I gave things my best effort and my my best shot.
1: So let's say that you're getting ready, let's say, to leave the job, leave your living situation, leave a relationship, and you're contemplating on that. What are some wise things in that preparation phase? Uh, I could tell you a couple partly related to my own mistakes. It's often best not to leave impulsively. And it's often not best to burn bridges on the way out the door. Sure, Because often what is remembered is how we acted after the problem occurred. And so that's one part. Another part is to really listen to those warning voices early on that are telling you, wow, you deserve better or you could have better. Obviously check yourself, are you jumping too quickly? You know, make sure that's not true. But to really listen to those voices once you realize, oh, okay, they're appropriate to listen to, I think that's really useful. And then I think it's helpful to have a sense of what the possibility is that you're leaping onto. You don't always know. Sometimes we take a blind leap into the dark and that's okay. Sometimes in the middle of the night, we say, that's it. That person, let's say, grabbed me and shoved me, maybe even hit me. We're done. I'm packing, I'm out with her with, you know, take the kids with me if I need to, if there are kids involved, let's say. And you just leave, kaboom. And sometimes people have to do that. But if you can, you know, start lining up that next job or at least know what kind of sort of job you would do. Start getting your ducks in a row, quietly update your resume. You know, if you're thinking that it's time to really leave the relationship, think about, you know, what are the last things you want to do before you... Take that irrevocable step, like maybe go see a counselor first and really mm-hmm. think it through. yeah, maybe give that other person one last chance. But you know, get it get it prepared if you possibly can.
0: Yeah, great points to throw a couple more onto the pile. When I've looked back at endings that didn't go so well for me, almost always there is this tone where I feel like I wasn't completely virtuous inside of them. In one way or another, mm. where my speech got away from me, where I didn't turn over every stone before I searched for the next thing, where I prioritized really making sure that the other person or that the the job, the whatever, knew that they had wronged me in some way versus focusing on reconciliation and just kind of moving forward smoothly. Those are almost all the mistakes that I've made, I think, are ones where Mm. I felt like I wasn't completely 100% virtuous, like I wasn't in unilateral virtue, to use a phrase that that you use pretty regularly. So that's the first question that I would ask. Are you doing things from a stance of virtue, from a stance of putting your best foot forward? Or are you doing them from a stance of vengeance, frankly? Are you trying to make the other person feel bad? Or are you moving in from a place of protection? And I think that those are very different impulses. Sometimes it's a little challenging to tell if we're in one or if we're in another. Totally fair. Uh, Sometimes vengeance is protective. That is a whole rabbit hole we could talk about sometime. But a lot of the time, I think that we know. Like deep down in our heart, we know whether or not we're in virtue. And I just think that that's a huge part of this whole thing. A slightly more analytical one, because I'm a pretty analytical guy, I like to look for comps. Uh, we've talked about this a lot in the podcast on the past. But if you just look around out in the world and you can't find a real life flesh and blood example that is relatively common and relatively attainable, of course, you want to be realistic, of the thing that you're looking for deep in your heart, man, that's a big indicator that maybe you need to do some work inside of your assumptions.
1: Maybe it's not realistic.
0: Yeah, maybe it's not realistic. Like, And for me, that has been such a gut check moment um, where we, we've we had conversations in the past where I was venting about something, venting about a partner, venting about a job, venting about a life circumstance, whatever. And you basically asked me something along the lines of, well, are there a lot of people floating around where you feel like things would be really different if you were with that person or you feel like things would be very different if you were inside of that job or going to that college or whatever? And when I was really met with that question, often I kind of took a breath and was like, no, I don't feel that way. And you were just sort of like, yeah, that's an indicator. <laughs> you know, Maybe you need to do some self-reflection around these things, dude. Uh, so that's been super useful for me in my life as well.
1: And also to swing to the other side. Sure. Maybe I'm just getting curmudgeonly as I age. But if I look back on myself, let's say, or really... The majority of people I know, two things would really stand out for me. One, lack of effort. A lot of people just don't put in the effort. They put in effort on things that don't matter much, but things that do matter much, like finding a more fulfilling career or sucking it up and having a tough year that then they'll put behind them, but would be the basis for this launch of a new kind of work they might do. Or to really go after it to find and recruit a really good life partner, they won't make that much effort. Work on their own minds in a serious way. They won't make that much effort. So I think it's, that's a cautionary tale. Another thing is that people, I think, often don't really listen to the longings in their heart for the kind of life and the kind of situations and the kind of self-expression that, that really calls to them. They push those voices away. They don't, they don't make the effort to manifest what those little voices are saying. I think that's really true. And then the other thing related to all that, I think a lot, is that people don't feel they deserve as much as they actually do. They deprecate their own healthy entitlement. And so I would, you know, kind of encourage, you know, make the effort, go after your dreams and stick up for yourself mm. that you do deserve genuine listening you do deserve decency and fair treatment back from the other person it doesn't mean you're going to get it all the time in this world in which many people feel like you know frankly came out of a cast party for game of thrones you know in terms of personality type you know they, mm, they just are mm-hmm. not always going to be great with you but still you deserve an opportunity to find those people who who are like that for you and i remember someone commenting on college a long time ago you know, find your five,
0: hmm.
1: you go to college, you go to life. Who are your five? The five people that in your life, let's say ballpark five plus or minus who you trust, you know, they would come through for you. Or if you were in the hospital, you know, they're trustworthy. Basically when it comes to you, who's your five, make sure you have those five. You deserve those five. That's a really good
0: holding of it. And it bounds things really clearly. Like what are the What are the spaces in which you're going to find those people? What are the things you need to do inside of yourself, maybe, to find those people? Yeah, I I think that's actually a really nice framing of it. Maybe alongside that, as we're kind of wandering toward the end here in terms of making endings go well with other people, particularly thinking relationally, but... Most of our interactions in the world are relational in one way or another. Jobs are relational. Obviously, romantic relationships are relational, but just most of our circumstances involve other people. For me, having a there's this kind of idea that you hear sometimes in relationships around conscious coupling and alongside that conscious uncoupling. And we're kind of focusing more on the uncoupling aspect of it. Having an earnest moment with another person, place, or thing where you, assuming it's somewhat authentic and you can do this in a somewhat truthful-to-yourself way, where you just kind of say, you know what, this just isn't working out for me, it's not you, it's me, whatever you have to say, to make the person feel heard around what their desires are. And of course, you're going to go your own way ultimately. You're going to make that choice to disconnect from them. But you want them to feel respected. You want them to feel appreciated inside of that process. And again, I think that this just tips me in that sense of like avoiding vengeance inside of our interpersonal interactions as much as possible. Of course, there are times where we do need to, we need to understand that something inappropriate has happened and therefore we need to address it. But I just really think that inside of my own relationships, I have gotten so much mileage out of shrugging, saying, mm hmm, I totally hear you. Okay. Yeah. I hear those things that I'll, think about doing differently in the future, but you know what, it's probably time for me to move on. And trying to make it as cordial as reasonably possible with the other person, understanding that, of course, they're gonna do whatever they do inside of the temple of their own mind.
1: Yeah. Well, that, as you said in another episode, one of the things you would honestly see about younger versions of you reaching back in time is your own deep inclinations to not hold grudges and to leave cleanly when it comes time to, to separate. I think that's really sweet about you. It's really good.
0: Oh, well, thanks, Dad. I appreciate that.
1: Yeah. A couple of things strike me about that. Sometimes there's a moment with a job or a person or a career or your boss or your, your roommate or your neighborhood or even your country where you step back and you ask yourself, what are the causes and conditions here? no praise, no blame, no distortion either way, what is true? What is this person capable of? What is this person demonstrated again and again and again? What are the pressures on them that are just inevitably pushing them in a certain direction? What can you realistically expect? If the best predictor of the future is the past, if the best predictor of tomorrow is yesterday, What can you expect here? And there's something very clear-eyed about that. And sometimes we do that recognition inside ourselves. Sometimes we do it with a trusted friend. Sometimes it's helpful to write it out for ourselves, making sure that no one else will see those words uh, if you want them to be private to yourself. So that's really there. Second, sometimes what we do is we have these moments with other people or a job even where it's sort of the last chance. And it's real. And for us, it really is the last chance with our roommate or our wife or our boss or the graduate program we're in. Whatever it might be, we're basically saying to them, I've come to a point myself that certain things are deal breakers. Certain things are my walkaways. And I really need, no praise, no blame, just fact, I really need certain things A, B, and C going forward. Whatever has happened in the past has happened. I'm not going to argue about it. I just want to really establish that going forward, certain things are going to be true, whatever those might be. And then you have a real conversation if it's appropriate or possible. Sometimes it's not safe to have that kind of conversation, especially if there's any hint or possibility of of violence. Uh, So you don't have that conversation. You already know the answer. But if There is a possibility. In effect, you're giving that other person or situation one last real chance. And I've seen most of the time, the person or situation does not rise to the occasion. The past is a good predictor. They're not gonna budge. That dog won't hunt. (laughs) They're not gonna change. Don't send a duck to Eagle School, et cetera. And you just know it. But at least you know that in your heart, you gave them an honest one last chance. Occasionally, occasionally, I don't know what to ballpark it, one in five, one in 10-ish, my personal sample, is that the other person or situation really does budge. Mm, mm-hmm. Sometimes they have to come close to the precipice for the relationship to end or the living situation to change, et cetera. But when they really get that close, burp. They change and they make a genuine change that lasts. So there is that moment to be able to say what that is to other people. Mm, mm-hmm. And then clarifying for yourself, what is your manifesto? What, what really is your last chance need? I mean, what's your ask here? What would it look like if you got what you wanted? What would it look like if it was good enough to, to stick around? Mm. And then clarify that for yourself. And then if it's appropriate, you can bring that up with the other person.
0: That's really lovely because it also helps you turn toward the future Yeah, in a really positive way, right? And in the process of doing that, of course, these are reflections on the past, but they are also that, that excitement finding mm-hmm. about what could be potential looking forward now that you have come to a kind of ending. And that can absolutely soften the sting of whatever you have to give up by the process of letting go and kind of saying goodbye. As a kind of final question, maybe, before we come to a close here, endings can be really scary for people because they don't have a soft landing somewhere else. Yeah, A lot of the time, we don't have a job set up when we get let go of somewhere or when we leave a job for whatever reason. We don't have our next relationship set up. And that's probably appropriate. And that process can be really frightening because we might fear that we will never have another opportunity that's like the one that we just left. And for some people, that will be true. How do you help people or how can you think that people might be able to help themselves deal with some of the fear around that?
1: Mm. I think this gets quite existential too. Yeah, totally, for sure. Because of course, everything is ending yeah. continuously. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> like, can do a little existential dread here at the end. Great, I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, so one thing that's really helpful is to focus on beginnings and continuings. Mm,
0: mm -hmm.
1: That might sound a little abstract, but it can be literally as clear as the next breath is occurring. The next sight is landing. The next day is dawning. The next TV show is occurring. The next person is showing up in your Instagram feed. Just, there's an arising of it all that can help really relieve this panic almost at things ending at a deep primal kind of existential level and also a sense of going on being. Uh, the child psychiatrist Winnicott, Daniel Winnicott, had a wonderful line that deep down inside every child needs to feel that they're going on being. And so they looked at caregivers, especially when they're very young and physically dependent, particularly to support that sense of going on being. Those are things that can really help people in particular. Okay, so now enough of the existential cosmic stuff, more down to earth. It's also helpful for a person to ask themselves, huh, are there any past endings, which might include abandonments or shocking losses or abrupt exiles that they've experienced in their past, even going all the way back to early childhood, that are turbocharging present moment reactions. In other words, maybe, for example, there's a kind of poignant leaving of a nice living situation that someone was in and... Yet it seems to hit someone really hard. And then they realize, oh, wow, I grew up in a military family and we changed our living situation roughly every six months during my teen years. And I never liked it. I always had to say goodbye to people. I hate saying goodbye. And maybe there's something previous in your life that is making this experience really hard for you. And being aware of that could then help you process that experience to maybe make it easier for you to deal with, Was that part. Another thing is around fear of endings. That often can be really more like a fear of beginnings, the new beginnings that people are anxious about, afraid of making new friends, it's uncomfortable, doubting themselves and their capabilities. You know, will I be able to really handle this? And so actually it can help yourself to think through, okay, what am I going to need to handle? Pull out the yellow pad and start making a list of the things you need to do. And that will help to bind the anxiety about the loss and it will tend to turn you toward the gains, the kinds of things you're gonna be handling so you can feel capable and resourceful and you won't be defeated, you won't be destroyed, you're gonna be able to keep on going. Another thing related to that is to look inside and realize, you know, I, you, whoever you are, have handled so many things already in this life. Mm, mm -hmm. I've dealt with challenges. I've dealt with so many chapters ending in the the book of my life and I did okay. I came through those things. I'm gonna be okay. I really am gonna be okay. And that kind of reassuring of yourself can help you be more comfortable with with things ending. Mm. The last thing I'll just say about all this uh, really has to do with a kind of vision of life. And this is something I've kind of been wanting to mention for a while in that I think that one of the things that causes suffering in people is a life that feels too tame. And what I mean by that is that there is deep in our own psyche, wilderness. There is wilderness inside every one of us, and there is wilderness all around us. The sky above, the forests, the plains, uh, the life of the ocean, everything out into outer space, it's wilderness. It is wild. And the future as the undiscovered country is a kind of wilderness. And I just think there's something about reorienting to wilderness, having more of a sense of imagination and possibility also as a kind of wilderness, creative possibility and orienting to our lives, not so much as something that happens inside the lines Mm. in which we kind of go up and down, or we move through the stages like hopscotch, staying inside the squares all the time. But actually that much of our life can be permeated by wilderness, both the interior wild and the external wild. And when you live with more sense of that, you have more of a feeling of possibility. You have more of a feeling of the open frontier and less fear of change, because mm-hmm. that's what we're really talking about here, mm-hmm. fear of change. When you're, when you're more rested in the wild and you experience yourself as a natural participant in the wild, and that the wild is within you as well, then you become more comfortable with change.
0: It's a great point. I think you're so right on about the ways that we can find those resources that support us through the anxiety, through the fear that might naturally arise when we go through a period of change. And I, and that was just a lovely way to encapsulate it. And I, I think a really lovely way to wrap up today's episode. So today we focused on ending well and finding the ways that we can relate to the ending that has just happened while also hopefully turning toward the future. We started today's conversation by focusing on some of the cultural narratives that exist around ending well. We have a lot of stories in our culture about never giving up and just keep on pushing, and if you try hard enough, if you put in the effort, you will eventually succeed. And the problem is that there are a lot of biases that exist inside of the mind that reinforce this belief. A really prominent one is survivorship bias, where we get a lot of stories in our culture from extremely successful people who just kind of stuck it out for long enough to become successful. And maybe they had a lot of advantages along the way. But the truth is that often you can expend good effort, truly try your best, make good decisions, and still things won't work out anyway. That's a fact of life. Whether it's a relationship, a job, or something else entirely, there often comes a time to recognize when it's time to end. One of the important points early on in the conversation was distinguishing for yourself Whether you're the kind of person who tends to leave too soon or stay too late, we all have our own individual tendencies here. They might be due to things that happened to us developmentally when we were younger. Or maybe we're just a really excessively hard-nosed person with a pain threshold that's a little bit too high. But for whatever reason, some people tend to leave certain circumstances a little too quickly. And if you're that kind of a person, it can be helpful to recognize that tendency and to really commit to a long enough period of time with the other person, with the job, again, whatever the circumstance might be, to determine whether or not it's actually a good or a bad fit. But one of Rick's beliefs is that it's really possible to find out pretty quickly whether or not a circumstance is going to feed you or not. And certainly by the time that you get to the three or the six-month mark, it's generally a pretty good indicator whether or not things are going to go well or go poorly for you. You may not have found any results from that circumstance yet, but you can get a feel for the hedonic tone that it carries. Do most of the interactions inside of it feel kind of optimistic and positive, or do most of them feel like there's really no blood coming out of that stone? Then we turn toward the actual practice of ending well. How do we deal with the uncertainty and the disappointment, even the fear, that can come when it's time to bring things to a close? Rick started by talking about self-criticism and self-compassion, and the ways in which we can give ourselves credit for our good effort that we expended over time, the ways that we can even bow to previous versions of ourselves that put us in a position to succeed where we are today. I particularly appreciated the reflection that he offered toward the end of the podcast about turning toward the uncertainty, the rampant possibility that exists out in the world, having a kind of explorer's mindset about the whole process of discovering what could be possible for you in this lifetime. That's something I'm really going to try to take into my own life. I can be a little conservative a little overthoughtful sometimes about aspects of my own decision making uh, i tend toward anxiety a little bit as a personality type so i tend to be careful and and not take some of the big swings that maybe i would be really benefited by and i think that his recommendation around wildly embracing possibility can be a beautiful antidote towards the feelings of fear and disappointment that can come at the end of a given thing. So if you've been enjoying the podcast, I'd really appreciate it if you would take a moment to subscribe to it through the platform of your choice and maybe even leave a comment, a rating, a positive review. It really does help us out. If you'd like to support the podcast in other ways, you can find us at patreon.com slash beingwellpodcast. And for the cost of just a couple cups of coffee a month, you can support the show and get a bunch of bonuses in return. Also, if you prefer watching your episodes rather than listening to them, you can find me at youtube.com slash C slash We're increasingly posting video versions of the podcast episodes there, and I hope you'll check it out. So until next time, thanks for listening.